It's been almost uh, two months since the start of the college basketball season. It's still three months before the Final Four in Glendale at State Farm Stadium. Out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joining the sports zone for uh, actually, what have we learned basically uh, the, the first you know, since early November when the season started? We're now joined the sports and by Kevin Flaherty of Twenty Four Seven Sports. Then Kevin, good to have you back on the show again. Look forward uh, to chatting during the rest of the college basketball season. Let's start with uh, defending champ, champ UConn, twelve and two, after they uh, you know, routed lowly DePaul on Tuesday night. Donovan Klingon uh, still uh, sidelined because of an injury. What's your evaluation? of Danny Hurley's team at this point? Yeah, I think they're really good, you know, and they haven't been at full strength for, for very long. When you look at the Stefan Castle injury that kept him out for, for quite a bit, and then the Donovan Klingon injury that, that followed up on that, and even when Donovan Klingon was out there, you know, you heard some stuff about, well, maybe the conditioning isn't quite the best, he hasn't quite taken the step forward that a lot of people expected, and and a lot of people thought that, hey, this this is a guy that may play his way into game shape. And so you, you hope to some extent he's only going to be out for, for part of this month. And so you hope that he's able to, to work his way back and not have that be an issue. On the flip side, we've seen how many times these injuries at midseason, as crazy as it sounds, can a lot of times be benefits for teams because – Guys who haven't been asked to step up, who haven't been asked to play major roles, all of a sudden they have to do so, and a lot of times that can help facilitate and build depth for March. And so, you know, it's one of those things I think I'm interested to see what UConn looks like in in late February, as I'm sure everybody does. But, you know, once Castle gets used to to his role there, I, I think against DePaul it was probably his best outing since coming back from the injury. And once you get clinging back it as well, UConn could, uh, could look even better than they have so far. Is it accurate for me to assume that Marquette is UConn's biggest competition in the Big East? Yeah, I think so. It, it's tough to tell because, uh, because of Villanova's Jekyll and Hyde, right? I mean, Villanova has looked at times this year – like, hey, last year was just a blip. This is going to be a team that's going to give people a, a lot of trouble this year. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they wind up playing another Catholic school and, and really, really struggling. And it's kind of out of nowhere. And so, you know, I, I do think that it's probably Marquette. Marquette is probably the most complete of the other Big East contenders. The thing with Marquette is, they get so much off of turning people over that it scares you a little bit and that I think that Marquette is a little bit vulnerable when they don't turn teams over. And that doesn't happen that often because they're so good at it. But when you think about the way that March plays out so often, it's at a slower pace. You know, it's people take care of the ball more. They prize possessions more. They're usually executing at a higher level. I think that's what scares me a little bit in terms of declaring Marquette sort of a Final Four contender at this point. It's just you get into that situation, you wind up playing somebody that's not handing you, you know, these quote-unquote pick-six turnovers where you can get out and <laughs> and run it and generate offense. All of the all of a sudden, you know, Marquette looks a little bit more vulnerable, I think, in those sorts of games than than maybe some of the other contenders. 
Purdue uh, won by 14 last night, ended Maryland's 19-game home court winning streak, uh, really with ease, obviously, with that margin. Is this season's Purdue team different than the one that we've witnessed in March and uh, the years with Matt Painter and even going back to Gene Cady, for that matter? Yeah, I think so. I, I think this is probably the closest Purdue team to the one that that lost to Virginia, you know, at the in overtime in 2019. When you look at that team that very easily could have reached the Final Four, some would argue should have reached the Final Four with Carson Edwards, and they don't have a Carson Edwards, so to speak, but they do have guards that have played off and on at a Big Ten level. When you look at the way that Braden Smith has played at times, Fletcher Lawyer has had big games in some key situations, and you know, I was really impressed, as weird as it sounds, in their win over Alabama. Alabama hit 19 three-pointers in that game, and teams that had made 19 three-pointers in a game had won the previous 85 games in college basketball. Wow. Purdue went on to win that game, break that 85-game winning streak, even with the other team shooting from the outside like that. I think that really speaks a lot in terms of how good that team is, how balanced the scoring is, even with Zach Eady obviously biting off as much as he does. I think this is a really good team, and with that backcourt play, you know, if they don't reach at least the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, it would be a shock to me, and I think that they're built to go you know, further than that. Okay, so who else from the Big Ten should we uh, be paying attention to? And does Illinois, I know they were good last night, but without the suspended Terrence Shannon, maybe for the rest of the season, how do they factor in? Yeah, Illinois would seem to be the, the second-best contender in that league, but I'm not sure you can say that without Shannon. They've played in two games without him. They've looked pretty good without him. But, you know, history and statistics usually tell us that Teams are kind of okay playing without their star player for a game or two. You know, a lot of times the guy who has to step into that spot plays pretty well for a game or two. And a lot of times, quite frankly, opponents aren't sure exactly how to deal with that team. They've scouted a different team, you know, up to that point, and then they're going to play differently. Where we see a star being out really starting to impact a team. You know, it's game four, game five on when teams are like, okay, this is who Illinois is without Terrence Shannon. This is where the ball is going when he's not on the court. And so I, I'm, I'm a little hesitant to say, hey, Illinois can still be, you know, that kind of team even, even with him out. I, I think it's still a, a wait-and-see mode. I think with him in – you know, obviously, I, I think they're sort of the no-doubt number two contender in that league. But with him out, it, it kind of looks like Purdue, Purdue, and more Purdue. And, and I know that Wisconsin has, has had some good moments this year, you know, beating Marquette at home and things like that. I just don't see the Badgers being quite that good this year. Once again, Purdue, uh, you know, they handed Arizona its first loss of the season, but Tommy Lloyd's team since that loss has been bad on defense and lost three out of four. So Arizona, reason for concern or no big deal? And also, how many Pac-12 teams do you think are NCAA tournament worthy, uh, you know, roughly you know, two months before selection Sunday? Yeah, the defense has been shocking, right? Because I think if you look at – you know, Ken Palm and the different things like that. At Arizona still has a top-10 defense, but 
those of us who have been watching, you know, you guys have, I, I have, you know, it, it does not look like a top 10 defense and it hasn't for the last five games sort of since that Wisconsin game, you look at the Florida Atlantic game, you know, that was a game where FAU was really able to, to sort of spread Arizona out and attack individual matchups. You know, Stanford, I guess that Stanford made 16 of 25 threes. I get that teams are usually going to win when they shoot like that. At the same time, I didn't think Arizona's defense did enough to sort of influence that game and influence those proceedings. And so you have a defense that, you know, on one hand, somebody looks at it and says, oh, you shouldn't be worried about it. You're number eight in the country or whatever. But I don't think that it's been anywhere near that here of late, and I do think that they need to find some answers on that end. As far as the Pac-12 in general, you know, I think obviously Arizona, you know, Oregon, I think is trending in the right direction. Um, Utah, I think is there in Colorado, and so that's that's kind of who I have at that point. And it's it's a little bit, you know, it's a little bit sad that you don't have, you know, USC, UCLA. And at that point, obviously, USC is extremely talented. It hasn't clicked for the Trojans yet. Uh, UCLA and Mick Cronin, I trust. But this just sort of seems to be one of those years where I think they're they're kind of a, a program in transition to, to maybe their next group of guys a little bit. And, and they haven't been, you know, UCLA in all caps this season. U of N, Colorado, by the way, play tomorrow night in Tucson. So that'd be fun. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 yeah, yeah. Sports is – yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, K.J. Yeah. Simpson's playing as good a point guard as anybody yeah. in the country, so that should be a That's lot true. of fun. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, currently in the sports zone. The Big 12, four teams in the top 12. Uh, you know, long-time uh, you know, members, Kansas and OU, are second and 12th, respectively. The newcomers – Houston and BYU are third and 12th, at least in the current AP poll this week. So handicap the Big 12 for us. Yeah, I think Kansas and Houston are kind of ahead of the pack a little bit. I know Kansas doesn't show up super well in efficiency matrix. They kind of play with their food a little bit, which can be dangerous if it lasts the, the entire season. But you look at how well they play when they close teams out, you know, they're I, I kind of joke around that their three-point percentage this year feels like it's about 20% for the first 35 minutes of a game and about 60% in the final five minutes. So they, they make shots when it counts. But at the same time, you'd like to see them, you know, put teams away a little bit more. I, I think Houston's really, really good. You know, they've got a terrific backcourt that plays off of each other really well. They remind me a little bit, uh, stylistically at least, of the 2017 North Carolina team that won it all in terms of that team really just generated more shots than their opponents because they were so good on the offensive glass. They were so much better than their opponents in turnover rate, too, that you know you look at that Final Four, I think one of the Final Four games – North Carolina had 19 more shots than their opponent. And you're generally going to win when you take 19 more shots than your opponent. Houston's very similar to that. BYU, I just am not sure how much I can trust them yet. And I get they've been really good this year. They've been really efficient this year. They brought back the Big 12's most experienced team. But they aren't experienced within the Big 12. And so it's 
I'll be watching that team incredibly closely over the first few games to to sort of see how all of that holds up. A, a team that that isn't quite in that top four group that I think merits watching is Texas because Texas just recently got Dylan DeSue back. He was a guy that was playing at an All-America level at the end of last year before he got hurt, and he's been uh, he's been scoring a, at a major rate since uh, since he returned to the court this year, and I think he he takes that Texas team up a notch, and so I think they're another team that's kind of on that you know fringe of contending for that Big Twelve title and could wind up putting their name in there. Tennessee and Kentucky, the highest-ranked SEC teams. What's your analysis of those two? And uh, you know, anybody from the SEC catch your attention? Yeah, so Kentucky's interesting in that here, here's a, another stat. No team since Arizona in 1997 has won a national title without returning at least three multi-game starters from the year before. That's how long it's been. And Kentucky only brought back one of those guys in Antonio Reeves. And so that tells you, hey, maybe this team doesn't have what it takes to, to cut down the nets in March, but they're really, really good. And those freshmen are extremely precocious. They play at a level of maturity that's well above what you would expect from a freshman class. And, and quite frankly, this freshman class in general wasn't very good. And so when you look at the class rankings and things like that and where the players sat in those rankings, it wasn't like we expected this to be an Anthony Davis, Michael Kick, Gilchrist, you know, type of Kentucky team. And yet they play really well together. Reed Shepard is far per outperformed. I think any expectations anybody had of him, maybe even his own parents. Uh, <laughs> and, and I think that when you look at, at the SEC race, uh, I think it does come down a little bit to Kentucky and Tennessee. It seems a little more open than that. But Tennessee is so deep. Zakai Ziegler is really starting to, to kind of find his rhythm now. And with Dalton Connect being there, they've got a player that Tennessee, quite frankly, hasn't had that many of over the last five years. And, and that's a guy that can go get a big bucket for them whenever the offense is struggling. And if we know anything about these, these Rick Barnes teams, and I covered Rick at, at Texas, it's that, hey <laughs> – they're going to defend, they're going to be really physical, but they're probably going to go through some periods where the offense is pretty clunky. And so having a guy like Connect on that team maybe adds an element that they haven't had in previous years where they've been bounced out maybe a little bit earlier than people thought. I watched Duke and North Carolina last night. Not really sure what I think of those two teams, quite frankly, but you know <laughs> those schools in Clemson are ranked this week. Miami certainly has had recent NCAA tournament success, so how do you break down the ACC? Miami terrifies me because I don't think the defense is nearly good enough, and it wasn't, it wasn't great last year, but at the same time, it's one of those things where the offense – isn't as good at Miami as it has been either. And so, you know, for a team that, that comes out and, and basically says, hey, we're going we're gonna to shoot better than you this game and that's the way that we win, that's not how you win in March. That's not the way that you go a long way in March because no team makes shots, you know, in so many consecutive games to, to go a long way. And so that's what scares me there. Duke is really interesting because they may be the most talented team in the country, you know, in terms of 
their starting lineup, literally it's five former five-star guys. And, you know, they've got more of those guys on the bench as well. You're just getting Tyrese Proctor back from injury. Uh, Kyle Filipowski, I think, has taken a major step forward this year. I, I think they're probably the ACC's best team. I do like Clemson a lot and maybe even Clemson more than North Carolina. Clemson is kind of, I've referred to Purdue as kind of an NBA team, not in terms of the talent that they have, but the way that they're built. Because NBA teams are built around a superstar or two, and then you kind of surround them with role guys and guys who can move the ball, make shots, and and things like that. Clemson is very much that team around P.J. Hall, and if you can't match up with P.J. Hall, then they're going to put you into some really nasty scramble drills where you're going to have to double-team him, and, and he's very comfortable passing that ball out, and they've got a lot of shooting around him. And so I, I think Clemson is a team that, that's fascinating because they are really connected, and, and they do play well together. Last up, and uh, we're talking with Kevin Flaherty, Cotton College Hoops or 24-7 Sports, Gonzaga. Nine and four, don't really have a quality win. The SC, uh, the WCC is definitely down, including St. Mary's, uh, with you know head coach and Valley product Randy Bennett. Uh, they're even average at best this season. So the uh, the WCC is it a one big league this year? Yeah, I think it, I think it might be. And you know, I I had a, a tough time heading into this season. You know, I I think. In my preseason top 25, I think I had Gonzaga and St. Mary's within a spot of each other because I thought St. Mary's had a chance to be pretty special this year. And I thought Gonzaga was going to take a half step back, but not the, you know, the two steps back that, that maybe that, uh, that program has. And like you said, you know, the lack of quality wins in the non-conference, that's never been an issue for Gonzaga, at least not recently. Uh, with the way that they challenge themselves in the schedule and, and all the teams that they take on, they've always been able to get a few of them, if not outright, run through, you know, several power programs. But there's there's something missing in Spokane this season. And, and when you watch that team, they aren't as efficient offensively. They don't just kill you on that end, which is something that we're used to seeing. And you know, I get that it's the first year post Drew Timmy era. You know. Drew Timmy was was such a tremendous player there, such an efficient scorer around the rim and everything. But Gonzaga actually has to work to score now. And I'm just, you look at the West Coast Conference schedule, and I'm just not sure that Gonzaga has a runway to head into March where they fix a lot of the issues that, that we're seeing right now. Because the defense isn't bad especially, you know, for a Gonzaga team, but the offense is just nowhere near what it, what it has been. And quite frankly, you know, it's to the point that I think some people are starting to wonder whether a big part of the reason Gonzaga isn't Gonzaga is because such a key part of that building job and, and a guy who helped keep them up near the top there has, has a top 10, top 15 team in Arizona. Yeah. No, I don't think there's any doubt that they missed Tommy Lloyd to some extent for sure. All right, Absolutely. Kevin, great stuff. Look forward to talking to you throughout the uh, season and the next few months here. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot, Bob. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Excellent stuff. And uh, we will have many, many, many college basketball segments. This was our first one of the current season.